Thanks for listening to the AMPA podcast. My name is Omar Mualam. Every year, the Alberta Magazine Publishers Association holds an annual conference, bringing to Calgary some of our industry's best minds in editorial, design, marketing, and advertising, and it's a pretty good party too. Over the next few weeks, I'll interview keynotes that you can meet there on March the 16th and 17th. We'll share tips and wisdom, and sometimes we'll just do what we love to do most, which is talk shop. In this episode, I'm talking with Haley Overland. She's been called the social media whisperer by colleagues at Rogers Publishing. That's because she helped boost today's parents' Twitter following to over a million. Now as the senior editor of social media at Chatelaine, she is bringing this institutional magazine into the modern age with live coverage, not even daily, but live coverage of issues that matter to their audience right now. She joins me via Skype from Toronto. Hello, Haley. Thank you for having me. So we're recording this on January 22nd, the Monday after the Women's March on Washington, which, of course, it took place around the globe. There were 60,000 marchers in Toronto alone. But Chatelaine actually sent a couple of correspondents to cover it live in many of the same ways that news networks do. Why did Chatelaine, a monthly magazine, decide to bring it to your readers live? Well, as it says in Chatelaine's social media bios, if it matters to Canadian women, it matters to Chatelaine. And as we saw from the turnout of around 111,000 across Canada, the Women's March on Washington matters to Canadian women. So it definitely couldn't have waited until Monday or until our next issue hit newsstands. Our readers didn't need to come to us. We came to, we went to them and we provided readers which, with content that they could then enjoy sharing themselves. You had Katie Underwood and a camera person doing live hits via Facebook. Uh, Sarah Bosefeld live tweeting from a bus to Washington and from the National Mall. Uh, Sadia Ansari was also there. She was tweeting and diarizing it on the website. Of course, all of this is your bag as the senior editor of social media. So how did you strategize for this operation? Great question. Um, well, it was all in the name of content creation. So it involved lots of strategizing on so many fronts. Uh, we all put our heads together to come up with what turned out to be what I think was a perfect plan. Um, our editors and writers and video team use social media to document events as they experience them, while the remaining editors here in Toronto and I mm. communicated all day long from 6 a.m. Saturday morning um, all through the day, and so I'm exhausted, not to mention the night before on the Friday night. Uh, we were all working together to publish the stories that they were submitting from Washington or that we compiled from what they posted on social media. I'm, I'm just coming down from it now, and it was such an exciting, creative, and collaborative success. In terms of the social media, we knew who would do what based on their proven strengths. So Katie Underwood, our Facebook Live queen, and Sarah Bozveld, our Twitter pro, and Sadia was posting on various platforms and working on longer first-person reads. In the meantime, I stayed back here to manage how it all came across from the brand, uh, sharing our editor's tweets and photos and Instagram posts or, or making them into Instagram stories where appropriate, and sharing the new online content in different ways across the platforms. Of course, the whole time, too, I was keeping an eye on things that were trending elsewhere. It was like it was constant and endless and awesome. It was a social media editor's dream. But it was I mean, there was a lot of strategizing beforehand, but so much happened day of. We couldn't really have imagined it would be like this, but it all 
really came together. When you're working all of those things at once, do you kind of feel like you're in, in mission control at NASA? Absolutely. I think that's a great <laughs> way of looking at it. It was like that. It, it's such automatic pilot. It's like, go, go, go. And, and at one point, I even had to, I had to drive my kids somewhere. And I was just like, okay, hold on. I'm driving, so I'll get back to you guys in 15 minutes. And then while I was there, I was doing Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And then I was thinking, oh, this should go on Twitter. So it was like on the go also. It was just constant and, and total mission control. It was like, like I said, a, a social media editor's dream. You're not handing your phone over to your kids and, and saying like, retweet for mommy? Oh, yeah, that wouldn't have been a bad idea. Even my dog could have gotten in on it. <laughs> it was, uh, I had, they learned a lot too, because I was sort of showing them what was going on in all these different ways and you know what my friends were doing and it was it was it was just overall a great experience it could be some social media editor's nightmare too <laughs> if you don't mind me asking how old are your kids uh, my boy is nine and my my daughter is 11 so this was very new to her it was yeah. um, I was so happy to be kind of contributing to this cause and I was happy that she could see me doing that in such a um, in such a big way because our audience is so massive especially when you're taking part in this kind of conversation a lot of people look to Chatelaine for this content. More and more Chatelaine has been surprising me and, and a lot of other people over the last year and a half as it starts to cover more politicized issues and it has a more uh, overtly feminist bent. It's it's always been tacitly feminist by way of its audience as editor in chief, Leanne George has called it, but she she hasn't been quiet about the pivot under her tenure either uh, to something resembling more of her grandmother Chatelaine in the 1960s under editor Doris Anderson. In recent issues, topics like the missing and murdered indigenous women in the Giangameshi trial were covered very well, um, and they seemed almost as prominent as your famous recipes. So, so how is social media bringing that more politicized coverage to life? Thanks. Uh, first, I should emphasize that all of our coverage, food, style, health, and more traditional women's service, lives happily with this new approach to news and, and more issues-based content like the Women's March. Um, our goal being to reflect the dynamic lives of our audience. So these things aren't mutually exclusive as far as we're all concerned, particularly on social media. So in terms of all of our content, I like to think of our brand as a multi-platform entity. So Chatelaine isn't simply a magazine or a website. Facebook is also our website and Twitter's another website, Instagram, Snapchat, YouTube, Pinterest. They're all our websites or microblogs, just like WordPress.com. Um, our audience with their many interests is on some or all of these platforms already, and they're talking a lot about issues like Gomeshi, like the Women's March, as well as what to make for dinner. And they're not doing that on Chatelaine.com or through the pages of our print magazine. They're doing it in real time on social media where stuff really matters. Having an amazing ambassador like senior writer Sarah Bosfeld live tweeting from the courtroom was a service to our audience and the audience at large during the Gomeshi trial. We got so much great feedback. Um, readers felt like they were there. She did such a great job. Um, and that's my goal as a social media editor. We want to bring the news and service to our readers in the best way we can. And often that's in real time. For example, today is National Pie Day. Um, so pies, all the pies. Um, and then we convert that real-time reporting into news articles or pie galleries for the website and magazine where people can sort of catch up on the day's events on their own time and maybe decide if they want chocolate or blueberry pie for dinner. <laughs> 
probably less so the Pi Day coverage, but more so the Gameshi trial coverage or the Women's March coverage. Are you, you know, do, do you do you run into a problem if you're if you're mixing some of the uh, more traditional women's service stuff with the real time feeds and the real time hits from you know the court trial or from the Women's March? Uh, yeah, it definitely depends on what's going on. Um, but for Gomeshi and for the Women's March, which were historic events, really, um, and the world was talking about about these events, um, there was nothing else to talk about those days. People were coming uh, to us for that content, and it really seemed trivial to talk about pie on Women's March Day. It didn't seem appropriate to insert pies and, and maybe um, what shoes to wear to work uh, when you're talking about such major events affecting, you know, women and, and, and humanity. So uh, we mm-hmm. decided that it was most appropriate and most effective to, to just have our feeds relegated to the, the subject matter. And even Facebook, people are so afraid of um, posting too frequently on Facebook. But we had Katie just posting photo after photo mm-hmm. and live video after live video. There was no time for pie. Um, and it certainly would have uh, looked like we didn't know what was going on in the world if we were posting about Pi. Um, and I definitely saw other um, brands uh, tweeting about other things that day. Um, and that's totally fine. But uh, I, it, it definitely stuck out in my list. And, and you know, and on Twitter, for example, you can use lists. And people were watching the news on the Women's March more than anything. I think anything about Pies would have gotten completely lost. Yeah, and that that um, like you know time and appropriateness aside, I think that the focus on one thing at a time. Like I remember Sarah Bosfeld really owning the Gameshi coverage and Chatelaine um, really shaping that conversation. And I think that focus really keeps people glued to your stream. Um, you know, for 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 the afternoon if it's the afternoon, or for the whole day if it's you know Women's March Day. Absolutely, and it's definitely. Um, you know, some people didn't like it, so we run we run that risk. But mm-hmm. we're also like we have you know our sort of dignity as a brand, and and we're def- we're authentic, and we want people to know that this matters to us. And and so it it didn't matter if you know people some people had to tune us out those mm-hmm. those days. That's not important. It's more you know what we want to bring to the audience that, that day. It's all about the paying audience for a publication. Um, it's, you know, it is it is a business in the end, more than a service. How do you think that your social media coverage has maybe translated to a bigger or different readership? How does it serve that paying audience? Well, it really supplements and brings our stories to life. So as I said before, um, it allows our audience to experience what we do live. Um, and in pictures and video. So, you know, for example, today I'm going to post a great how to make a blueberry pie quickie video. So they're thinking of us first um, when, you know, if they're in our social media feeds, then we pop up and then they'll come to us more often. Uh, so it's a lot about brand loyalty and brand awareness. Um, Twitter in particular is pretty much only about that. You're not going to get necessarily the traffic that you want from Twitter, but you're certainly going to get, you know, some brand, a lot of brand awareness. Um, as you saw, sort of um, Chatelaine's coverage of Gameshi and uh, the Women's March really uh, on Twitter more than anywhere else to begin with, especially really uh, changed people's perspective of the brand and, and got us a, a larger audience as well. 
Um, I think also it humanizes the brand. So we're not, um, I, I think also social media allows us to humanize the brand. So we're not simply an iconic magazine that has seemed unapproachable in years past. We're completely available, not only for feedback and interaction, but also for customer service. So mm -hmm. I've helped many people find their lost magazines or figure out their subscription. Um, so that's, I think, really important. It's also definitely translated into a bigger and different readership, especially over the past year. If not because social media allows us to reach people we can't reach through newsletters or Google search or through the pages of the magazine, uh, but you definitely have to use it right. So I'll talk more about that in my presentation. Um, but after we burst onto the social scene when I started last December, we got tons of people remarking on this new Chatelaine and rediscovering us and celebrating the revamped brand, uh, definitely following us and noticing that we were more available and innovative. The larger audience on social then, of course, translates to an, a larger audience um, online and, and more subscriptions uh, because people want to be part of this community, Canadian women around 40-ish. So, and that's something that this demographic isn't isn't served by a lot of a lot of brands so that's what we're here for for people who don't know what this is 40ish is could you explain it a little bit this is 40ish is an annual survey uh, that we do we basically survey around a thousand plus women across Canada um, and we ask them what we call nosy questions about their secret lives. So we ask them about money and sex and how they feel about their bodies and their career, their families. So um, it's, we do this, we started doing this last uh, January and for last January issue and we did it again this year and it's had a huge success with it, especially on social media. It's been just a huge social media um, event for the past two years. So at the conference, you'll be discussing how social media can inform the types of stories your magazines produce or vice versa. When it comes to This Is 40-ish, which category does it fall in? Is it is it social media driving the stories or is it the stories driving the social media component, the hashtag This Is 40-ish? Um, I think it's both actually, because we have this, um, the, the base of the, the um, project in the magazine, and then we put it online, and then we bring it to life on social media. But we learn about what resonates with our readers uh, from the social media event and the feedback um, on the various statistics. A lot of them are surprising. Um, so, so it really goes both ways. It's, it's quite amazing. Um, and if you take a look at the Women's March coverage we did this weekend, you can see a lot of that too. Um, you can really see how we use the information and live coverage that we gathered to put together stories that we learned were resonating with our audience as we went along. And we learned like immediately what was re resonating through social media analytics and engagement. Um, so we collected video for the website and other social platforms and, you know, put photos into galleries and massively retweeted statements were turned into headlines. Uh, so this really um, really went both ways and the same occurred with This Is 40-ish. For This Is 40-ish, we brought the survey to life uh, on social media by polling our audience in real time and engaging with them on the most surprising stats and 
We had influencers like Trudeau and Lena Dunham in 2016 interacting and sharing some of the survey results. And this, this can only happen on social media. Um, I'll talk more about that at the conference. And we had women join us here at Chatelaine, like Chatelaine readers, um, producing compelling video. And we also interviewed our own staff um, about their secret lives. So, so we used the content from the magazine really as a starting point, as kind of a springboard to create all sorts of other content. And then from that, we're going to, you know, look at next year's survey and 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 some things that came up here that were uh, that that um, came up from this year's survey on social media will inform next year's survey. So ultimately, we're finding that the magazine and social media work symbiotically, informing each other and bringing our stories and our brand to life in extraordinary and meaningful ways. Um, we're learning what resonates most with our readers through social media analytics and engagements, and creating our kind of macro stories from these micro blogs. We can even, you know, collect reader tweets and Instagram posts and put them into stories too. We did a Twitter reaction, for example, one of our articles from the Women's March, and we did that as well with uh, This Is Sportyish, collecting Twitter reactions on the most surprising stats and bringing them together into an article on the website. So it's really quite, uh, quite something how this community forms and brand loyalty becomes stronger than ever, especially when you have a campaign like This Is Sportyish that really brings this demographic together that's often you know, missed on social media since social media tends to be dedicated so heavily to uh, the millennial audience. You mentioned engagement with Justin Trudeau and Lena Dunham. Uh, when you were in a similar role at Today's Parent, you um, did a sort of a uh, live AMA of sorts um, or, or question and answer with uh, Premier Kathleen Wynne. Just wondering, when, when you do get sort of those celebrity in, engagements, um, which, which ones are, are planned partnerships and which ones just sort of happen organically and what kind of work goes into, into getting them on board to sort of partner with your brand? Well, the, um, the Project 97 Twitter chat with Kathleen Wynne was really exciting. That was for, Pro for Project 97, as I said, and I was working on that um, when I was at Today's Parent, and it's actually across Rogers Brands Initiative, so all the brands, Chatelaine, Flair, Today's Parent, Canadian Business, Money Sense, and McLean's, we were all involved in this project, and uh, Kathleen Wynne was um, really promoting her It's Never Okay campaign. Um, this is actually um, Project 97, is a, a year-long discussion um, or a year-long conversation on sexual assault, harassment, and abuse. It just all really um, worked together for Kathleen Wynne to join us on this. We worked with, with Twitter Canada, too. I had contacted them and, and said we wanted to do something big, and she wanted to promote her It's Never Okay campaign as well. So that was planned, and it was planned in partnership with Twitter Canada. Um, very exciting to do this live QA with her. That was like an amazing experience, and it, and it made headlines. What about the what about the engagement with Trudeau and Lena Dunham on um, This Is 40-ish? Yeah, the, the Trudeau and uh, Lena Dunham engagements were totally unexpected and totally exciting. Um, they were not planned. We got really lucky. Um, Trudeau, of course, like Kathleen Wynne, had his own agenda of, of wanting to promote himself as a feminist. And so one of our questions in the campaign was, do you consider yourself a feminist? 
and we had some surprising stats. I can't remember exactly the number, um, but uh, but it was but a surprising amount of, of women said no, they did not consider uh, themselves a feminist. And Trudeau came in and said. Um, uh, with our Twitter handle and the this is 40 ish hashtag. Uh, so he tweeted, What does being a proud feminist mean to me? Working hard to build equality of opportunity for men and women. Dash at Chatelaine, this is 40 ish. So there was Justin Trudeau. I don't know exactly how this happened. Lena Dunham actually, I tweeted from, I tweeted her from my personal account and I just asked her a question about the survey. Like, um, it was something about um, women don't like the way they look naked when they look in the mirror mm. and she got right on that and it was uh she she tweeted us back and and then of course that was liked you know a thousand times or something so yeah that those two were not planned we got lucky and this year we reached out as well tweeting some influencers and some responded and, and some did not but we didn't get trudeau and lena this year yeah one of, one of the trudeau questions was do you find justin trudeau hot or attractive or something like that i'm hoping he didn't engage on that one he did not engage on that <laughs> you know, there was there's been so much going on with trudeau that um actually this might be important to know that it wasn't completely appropriate that we went there <laughs> this time yeah so we we we're gonna we're gonna promote that one probably uh, when it's more appropriate. And it, it's a great question. I mean, it has a, you know larger implications than just do you think Trudeau's hot. So so a, a a quick follow up. I find him attractive. Do you find Justin Trudeau attractive? Do I? Oh no, I I don't. I don't okay. find him attractive, and and it's it's nothing against him. He's just not my type. So we we talked about um, a little bit of your work at Today's Parent, but but something that stands out from your bio that just baffled me um, is that when when you were at Today's Parent, you grew their Twitter followership to over a million, and um, that's huge. And and not just by Canadian standards, it now has two point two nine million followers and for comparison cbc has 2.17 million and the globe and mail canada's so-called national news organization has 1.52 million what sort of uh witchcraft exactly did you employ to get the numbers so high and for your predecessor to keep them climbing oh that whole thing um <laughs> I, yeah it was all witchcraft like all witchcraft um intuition definitely plays a part um and stamina and taking taking care of oneself which is all witchcrafty and i'm definitely gonna discuss the strategy in my talk at the conference um but some of this was in the timing too just to keep in mind like today's parent was an early adopter of twitter so they were scared when they hired me but i pushed it because i knew that that was the time and our millennial audience was ready and waiting and this was back in 2010 of course which was at twitter's prime so mm -hmm. just to keep that in mind but in a nutshell i'd say the components of my magical spell um to get us to a million were uh, frequency, relevancy, being bold and creative, and, and a little lucky. Um, and in terms of keeping the numbers climbing, I'd say that by the time we reached 700K, we went viral. So this actually happens on social media. The numbers were skyrocketing and people were baffled at the by the stunning growth. Um, our SEO was also through the roof, I noticed, um, in the sense that anyone around the world Googling parents and Twitter would find us on the first page and then likely follow. So we had a lot of daily new followers. So I like to say it was a well-oiled machine by the time I left. It was viral and they had great systems in, in place among the team to really keep it running. 
Chatelaine's Twitter numbers are, are much, much smaller. There are about 65,000 uh, followers on Twitter. What accounts for the difference, do you think? Like, what, why does one audience, uh, today's parents' audience, latch to a social media platform and another is more tepid? And, and how do you make up for that difference? So, yes, Chatelaine's numbers are much smaller. But keep in mind that when I got there last December, we were just about where we were at today's parent when I first arrived in 2010. And we've nearly doubled our numbers since then, and more so on other platforms. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. And seriously, though, we're, lo we're looking at a much more niche audience at Chatelaine. We've got Gen Xers, women, Canadian, around this is 40-ish. And uh, because it's more niche, it tends to actually be more engaged, which is excellent. I should, I should also add that having worked at Today's Parent for a number of years, I know the world loves Canadian parenting experts and advice. So they have a lot going for them and a lot of new users, as I said, who, are, who don't necessarily engage, but they follow. Mm. Um, but I took advantage of all of that when I was growing the numbers there. Um, we're also looking at a different social landscape now. Uh, Twitter isn't as prominent as it used to be when we were growing our numbers like crazy at Today's Parent. And people use Twitter in different ways too. So they're not necessarily following a brand, but they're engaging through hashtag trends. There was an Instagram and Snapchat also vying for people's attention. Exactly, and YouTube also, and Pinterest. There, It was really Twitter. Twitter was like in, in its prime. Um, and, and also like they just, they, I, I don't rely on people following anymore because people aren't using Twitter in the same way that they used to. So people might even be creating lists and we might on, be on people's list of news brands where they can put us on a list but they don't follow us. But they see what we're doing every day and click on it or engage with it somehow. So I'm also focused on, on the vast and rapidly growing numbers on, on these other platforms that you mentioned. Um, like as a social media editor in this climate, I have to look at the whole picture. So I'm really looking at the whole picture. Chatelaine might not have a, a million Twitter followers, but we have excellent engagement that, that, and that's what I'm so focused on. That's why like keeping our content focused on, on something big that's going on a world, in the world for an entire day is key for us. How much of your job is just sort of analytics bean counting? I think numbers are really important. I'm looking at numbers every day. So I have programs open um, where I can keep an eye on what people are looking at and where. Um, so some of you may be familiar with Chartbeat, for example. So I'm, I'm looking at that. I'm looking at what's trending. I'm looking at what's retweeting um, on Twitter. This shows me what's resonating on a, a daily basis. But also every month I take an entire day and I do a deep dive into the analytics from the month before so I can really get a big picture of what's working on what platform. So we have like a different audience on Facebook than on Twitter, for example. And so some things that are working in a, a specific way on Facebook may not work in the same way on Twitter and vice versa. Or maybe I might want to try something that I did on Facebook on, on Twitter. So there's so many things you can mm -hmm. investigate by looking at the analytics. So it, so it really is like mission control at NASA there. Every day is mission control. There's no rest for the wicked. Haley Overland, thanks so much for being on the podcast. I hope you can get some rest this week and we'll see you in Calgary. See you in Calgary. 
And thank you, the listeners, for tuning in. If you want to learn more from Haley, come to Calgary on March 16 and 17 for the 2017 Alberta Magazine Conference. And she'll be there along with Carrie Polis, the digital editor of Bon Appetit, as well as editor John Bennett of The New Yorker and Bridget Williams, the COO of Food 52. Conference passes are on sale right now. Take advantage of the early bird pricing by going to albertamagazines.com. My name is Omar Mawalam. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Ciao for now.